0: You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Eddie Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: Advent is right around the corner. First Sunday of Advent is this Sunday. There's a Latin word for it, Latin phrase. What is it, Sarah?
1: Ad te levavi.
0: Okay, thank you. If
1: you're in the one-year lectionary.
0: If you're in the one-year lectionary, yes. So, and we're going to do that today. We are looking forward to the text. We're looking forward to this first Sunday in Advent. And we're going to continue this series with a great guest. So we had him on not too long ago, talking about colloquy and set apart to serve. The Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota is our guest today. We're going to talk with him in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu.
1: Live Uncommon.
0: Pastor Richard is pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota, and he's also, also author of Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? Pastor Richard, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. It's good to be here, guys. Hey, we had so much fun talking about your path into ministry and uh, into the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod as well, not too long ago, uh, just about a month ago or so. It was a lot of fun, and we knew that we wanted to look at the text for Advent and said, hey, will you come back and help us look at uh, these themes, this text for Advent? And you willingly said, yes, I'll come on and, and be your guest. And so we are excited about digging into God's Word with you. Uh, and we are going to look at the gospel lessons for the upcoming Sundays in Advent. And in your congregation, you use the one-year lectionary. Uh, many congregations use the one-year lectionary. Some use the three-year lectionary. What, what is unique about the one-year lectionary, or what do you appreciate about the one-year lectionary?
2: Well, you know, I've had people say, well, well what got you onto the one-year lectionary versus the three-year lectionary? Well, maybe we should back up. A lectionary is basically a selection of texts for the entire year. So instead of the pastor saying, you know, what I'm going to speak on this Sunday— Um, And coming up with perhaps, you know, well, what text to actually preach on, the lectionary is already set in advance. And so there there, there are two dominant lectionaries out there, one called the one-year lectionary and one called the three-year lectionary. And so I I did the three-year lectionary for about 10 years, and then I switched to the one-year lectionary. I've been on the one-year lectionary for about, it's been about eight or nine at this point. And somebody said, well, why'd you switch? And I said, well, it's totally peer pressure. All the guys around me were on the one year and they said, you should do it. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And now, now between preaching both of those for you know almost 20 years now, I have, I have found I've really enjoyed the one-year lectionary. Now, a lot of guys do appreciate the three-year lectionary more than the one, and that's completely fine. But let's, let's just back up real quickly. The three-year lectionary has a cycle of three years. So the first year, the focus is on the gospel of Matthew. The second is the gospel of Mark and then Luke. So three years. And then the Gospel of John is kind of sprinkled throughout all those three years. So you get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Whereas the one-year lectionary has texts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're selective for the whole entire year. And so if you go through the three-year lectionary, you go year one, then year two, then year three, then you go back to what? Year one again, which would be Matthew. Let's go Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, over and over and over. Whereas the one-year lectionary, you go through the whole thing for the whole entire year, and then guess what? You start it all over. And so, you know, I told my son the other day, and my son is 16. And uh, I said, you know, there's been a big chunk of time that you've gone through the one-year lectionary. So I said, you've actually heard this gospel uh, preached uh, by your dad, you know, in the church uh, about nine times. And he's like, okay, that makes sense. And, and really what started that conversation was we were talking about this a while back. He's like, you know, I know that text pretty well. And I said, well, have you ever really like sat down and studied it? Or, you know, have you, have you, you know, in, in, in Sunday school? He's like, no, I just kind of know it. And how did he know it? It's, it's been saturated in him over the last eight, nine years. And so one of the reasons why I do prefer the one year uh, is just because it's kind of driving it home every year. Boom, 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 boom. It's just kind of pounding it into, into the mind of the church. And so that, that way and, and, and that such way, I, I, a lot of ways, I, I like the one year for that perspective. Whereas, you know, I, how do I say this here? Church attendance isn't always the best, you know, with parishioners, you know, in America. And so by having that same one-year lectionary, you can drive it home over and over and over. So I kind of take in the pro- approach, less is more.
1: Yeah, there's some there's benefits to both lectionaries. And I know people have some strong feelings about this and we don't want to start <laughs> any fights. So that is fine. But I, I do like the one-year lectionary for that, that repetition you get over and over and over and over to get those texts in your mind. Now, before we dig into the text, we did mention that that the Sunday name is Ad Televavi. Why? What is the fancy name? Where does it come from?
2: You know, I was, I was, I was dreading you guys are going to ask me. I'm That's terrible. Tough.
1: You can answer my own question.
2: I'm I'm ter- You know, I I am I, I I'm terrible at the languages, as I expressed to you guys as we we're talking before, and so it's, I'm terrible at the Latin phrases. So people say, well, "What is that?" I'm like, "No, it's just Advent one." That's. And so-
1: <laughs> I mean, it is.
2: So, you know, I would say that that maybe we should go to the word Advent. This is my way of kind of skirting around your question, obviously, <laughs> right? So if you look at the word Advent, the word Advent means coming, right? And so the the, the theme of Advent you really have, and, and you look at all the Advent uh, texts over the next uh, four weeks, uh, focuses on the theme of Christ coming in the past, Christ coming in the future, and Christ coming in the present. So you have a past, present, and future aspect. And this whole idea of Christ coming to us, it's him approaching us. And that's a tremendously powerful, powerful theme to think that the uh, Son of God is approaching humanity. And so he's a peculiar king. And we'll we'll get to that in the text here a little bit later on. He's not a king that we seek after. He's a peculiar king who seeks after us. And so he came to us long ago in that manger, and he will come again to us at that great eschaton, that word for the great end times, and he comes to us every single time through the Word and sacrament. So we have a God that's hunting us out, seeking us out.
0: All right. So what's the the gospel lesson for this Sunday? And will you read it for us?
2: Yeah. It's it's the now surprisingly you you get to Advent and and you enter in after Thanksgiving and everybody's kind of into this um, Christmas season. You know, I know we bought gifts already uh, for quite a few people in our family and the. Christmas tree went up and all the tinsel's going on. And so you kind of have this Christmas feeling. And then you get to the text, which is is Matthew 21, and it's verses one through nine. And you're like, what on earth are we reading Matthew 21, the triumphal entry of Jesus? Isn't this, it's like, it's like we got the wrong season. Is this Easter? And And this text actually applies to Palm Sunday as well as Advent one. And so let's just read it here. It says, when they came, when they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophets, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the roads. The crowds that went ahead of him and followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is the one. Who comes in the name of the Lord? Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Yeah, there we go.
1: So why are we reading Palm Sunday at Advent? <laughs> this is this is my burning question right now.
2: Well, okay, so here's the thing. I I guess when when it comes time to to Advent, again, we we that word advent means coming. And it's and we have this we have to keep in mind that it's the Lord Jesus Christ coming towards humanity in the incarnation. The incarnation is is, is him being born uh, and, and, and laid in that manger, him putting on human flesh, the Son of God coming towards humanity. And so we, we have to start with the premise, first of all, that humanity is sunk in sin, and our Lord God doesn't, what, just throw up his hands and say, my goodness, look at these sinful human beings, and just turn and bolt and go the opposite way. He draws near sinful humanity. And so we hear this in the promises of the Old Testament that the Messiah is coming towards us, coming for us, and here in this text, uh, we see uh, this, this text, which is the Palm Sunday text of Jesus going towards Jerusalem. Well, what is he approaching? Is he approaching a big party? No, he's approaching his death. He's going towards Jerusalem to be slaughtered on that cross, bloodied up on that cross for the what? salvation of humankind. And so the proper context of this is that with that in mind, and we have that on Advent 1, not only do we see the, the 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 motion of Jesus towards something, we see that movement of Him coming towards us, but we're also reminded of those echoes to come in Easter that uh, our Messiah was born to die, and so we we don't just have a cuddly baby Jesus just to have a cuddly baby Jesus to give us warm sentimental feelings. This child, this God man, was born for the sake of what going towards the cross, and so His whole whole purpose of what being born put in. Coming into time and space, putting on flesh, living amongst us, was for his journey towards Gogoltha, that cross. And so I don't mean to try to ruin the Christmas cheer, but the reality is we're celebrating the birth of the Son of God for the sake of him marching towards his death for us. puts it all in perspective. It ties this Advent 1, really kind of echoes back to Palm Sunday, and it ties the two seasons together.
0: You know, who does not have Hosanna, loud Hosanna in their head while reading this text? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I I was drawn straight to Palm Sunday. So I I I just have that hymn stuck in my head. All right, let's take a look at the, the text a little bit closer now. You, you, you pointed out that this points us back to the Old Testament. I see a lot of footnotes in this. Where are we? Where is... Where is this text pointing us to when it comes to, well, you know, it's verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And that—that that is, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Where does this come from?
2: Yeah, it pulls back from Zechariah. And so, man, yeah, it, it ties that from Zechariah. And again, this whole idea of him fulfilling prophecy. And we see this over and over and over in the life and the death and the life, the birth, life, and death and resurrection of Jesus. He's fulfilling all these Old Testament passages. They're coming to fruition in him. And so it's just beautiful how these authors of the New Testament, how they always are tying us back to the Old Testament, showing that the Old Testament and the New Testament are one cohesive, one cohesive book about the Messiah coming for the pursuit of mankind. And so more specifically here, we see this, part where the daughter of Zion, uh, behold, the king of you comes to you. And again, I mentioned that before, and I can't stress this enough, that if you think of a king, typically speaking, what happens is if we hear about a great, well, if we equate it to our modern day and age, if you hear of a rock star coming to a town, you don't expect that rock star to come to your house and knock on your door and say, hey, you know, what's up? (laughs) You know, you, you you would want to obtain a ticket to go pursue and to find that rock star where he's performing. Or you know a famous political off uh, political person uh, in office, you'd want to go to one of their rallies. You'd have to go seek them out, and you'd have to get close to them. And then once you're maybe at per se the concert, you'd have to press in on the stage to get towards the front to get to them. However, in this again, we have this peculiar king. He's coming to us. Um, I'm reminded of a, of an analogy, and I'm it's not original with me, but it's this whole idea about uh, this idea of the the lion and the hunter. And the hunter, he's going out to what hunt, you know, the, the, the hunter's going out to hunt the lion, to pursue him. And partway through the pursuit of hunting the lion uh, to actually, you know, to claim him as game, he realizes I'm not hunting the lion, the lion is hunting me. And so much of our Christianity, uh, at least in America, we, we, we set out in this idea that we are the ones pursuing uh, the lion, that we're pursuing God. It's all about our effort towards uh, the Messiah. But we come to this text here and we realize, no, he's a peculiar king. Uh, he's the lion, the lion of Judah, who is seeking us out, coming towards us. And how does he come towards us? He comes towards us in his birth. He comes towards us in marching towards that cross, uh, riding on that on that donkey towards his death for the sake of, what, redemption of mankind. And then we'll hit further episodes here of how he comes to us in the future, the second coming, and how he comes to us right now, this seeking God of ours.
0: We are taking a look at the first Sunday in Advent with the Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard. We'll continue the conversation here in just a moment, right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others. To live a life of self-sacrifice in a me first world to live a life that's uncommon whether you're taking one of 50 plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of lake michigan you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact learn more at cuw.edu concordia university wisconsin live uncommon Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Goldseth.
0: We are looking ahead to the first Sunday in Advent with the Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. And we are in Matthew chapter 21 today. So we've, we've looked at some of the, the Old Testament prophecy that, that points us to Jesus coming. In, in the second half of the text that we're looking at, like verse 9, we see the word Hosanna come up a couple of times. And again, I have that hymn stuck in my head, Hosanna, Lord, Hosanna. <laughs> Um, so w- why Hosanna during advent
2: yeah the word the word hosanna in of itself is is a word that's saying to what uh, save uh so indeed save us, uh we pray to thee, oh save us, it's actually a liturgical word that we use, and it's a cry for what uh, a cry to be saved to be helped, and so embedded in that uh, boy, there's so much richness embedded in that when we say hosanna it's this one who's coming towards us for the purpose of saving us. Now, here, here's here's kind of the difficult part of this. We we see this throughout all the Gospels. There was an understanding that Jesus was going towards Jerusalem. In fact, the disciples often got pretty excited as he drew close to Jerusalem, thinking that, you know, he's going to come in and he's going to, you know, knock some heads and he's going to, what, to topple, topple over the Roman Empire and uh, maybe perhaps kick Pontius Pilate out and and establish a rule and authority there in Jerusalem. And so the, the disciples were even, you know, I can just imagine the disciples, you know, raising their hand like, ooh, 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 me, me. I want to sit on your right and your left. I want to be with you as you ascend in glory, as you as you ascend high. And so there is a sense that everyone wanted to be saved from political oppression, if you will. And who doesn't like a, a good political rescuer, if you will, say it that way. And so the people that were following him into Jerusalem and the people that were going out to meet him, they definitely wanted to be saved. Now, the question is, did all of them want to be saved from political oppression? I don't know if we could say with certainty, but a great majority of the people in that time, they were welcoming him because this Messiah is one that's going to what? Potentially kick out the Roman Empire, establish a worldly kingdom, give us peace and prosperity and all the bling that goes with that. And like those disciples earlier, Jesus says, do you know, when you want to sit on my right and left-hand side, do you really know your request, what you're asking of me? Can you really drink the cup of suffering that I'm going to drink? In other words, do you really want to be crucified with me on my right to my left? You don't really know what you're asking. And so, there again, even though we oftentimes, in all of us, we, we want Jesus for probably, let's just say this way, impure motives, nonetheless, he still comes towards us with pure motives for the sake of what, not giving us what we want, but what we need, which is salvation
1: absolutely. There's a theme of a donkey going on through this entire text. Is there significance to that animal or that way of entrance into the that that triumphal entrance on a donkey
2: yeah this is this is epic, right okay so if we can if we can think about man i'm I'm just thinking about like the, all these Roman Empire movies we've seen like gladiator and and just thinking of all the kind of you know the the roman kind of picture of the, the the great conquering king that comes into a city and he's on a big white horse now if i were to do it i'd make sure to get the biggest white horse i could and i'd make sure to get the biggest blade i could and the most fancy gold shield and i would ride with what my head up and i'd be waving my sword up in the air probably careful not to cut my ear off which i probably would and and you come in with glory and power and might and 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 and, and to display what your glory and yet here comes the son of God, you know, the one who knit this world together. And he comes in on a donkey. Now, this is really cool. Check this out. The word, it says that he's humble or meek. Uh, He's he's meek or humbled on a donkey. Now we hear the word meek. I don't know about you guys, but when I hear the word meek, I think mousy. I think timid. I think afraid. Uh, That word itself in the original language Permit me just a second just to kind of read what this word meek means in its original context. This is the same word I should say. It's the same word as Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek. The word meek is is, is showing no pride. It's no pompous attitude. It it doesn't mean that you're surrendered or you're mousy, but it's spiritually composed. It's spiritually composed. It's, It's not easily insulted. It doesn't look for approval of others. It doesn't look, look to trample on others, but it is a spiritual composure that a person has. So get this, you got, you got the son of God going towards his cross. He's not riding on a big white horse, waving a sword around. He's going into a group of people who are wanting him to be a king of a political king. And yet he, with complete composure, is going right towards his death, right towards his cross. He doesn't have to prove anything. He doesn't have to show off. He's spiritually composed. He's humble. He knows his mission. He knows what he's there for. He knows why he was born, uh, put on human flesh. He knows his path, and he knows what lies before him, which is what? To be crucified, dead, and buried. And he does it with spiritual composure because he's doing that for us. I I just, man, I, I, I look at that word meek. It's the furthest thing from being mousy or afraid. It's being spiritually composed. On that dog, he doesn't have to show off. He does, and you think about this: the birth of Jesus, right? With with the Advent, you know, he 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 wasn't born in 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 Rome, right? With with a with a golden crib, he was laid in a feeding trough. Uh, He didn't go choose twelve powerful scribes from the Pharisees. He chose a bunch of dumpy fishermen and a tax collector to boot, (laughs) right? And then and then he. And he rides not on a white horse, but he rides on a donkey because he's spiritually composed. He has nothing to prove. He's the Son of God, and he goes to that cross, and he what? He's crucified for us, and he's raised from the dead, and he comes back for us again. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just glorious. It's awesome.
0: Does a donkey show up again in <laughs> other texts around this season?
2: Ah, uh, boy, I'm trying kind to of draw a blank. I'm thinking, I'm thinking like perhaps the cave where he was born. I mean, we see all these animals there. Yeah. Right? yeah.
0: I guess Ooh, it I'm, would be more implied. I don't know if it actually shows up in the text. I mm. guess that would be more implied. But, was, but
2: there again, but there again, right. I mean, he, he, you know, there's no room in the end. Right. So, mm. you know, we often think we sing the silent night song. And I think it's a great song. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to torpedo anybody's Christmas, but silent night. I don't know if it was necessarily that silent. I, I think, you know, <laughs> I was, I was with my wife when she be careful when I talk here on this. But I was with my wife when when our three children were born, and it wasn't wasn't silent. Those nights weren't silent. It was it was loud. You know, and imagine being in a cave with a bunch of farm animals. The stench, the chaos, and this is the nature in which our our Savior was born in that mm-hmm. context. And 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 yet we see the meekness there, the composure of His whole birth as well, not needing the tinsel, if you will, not needing the the the, the the, the glaze or the the glory and all that that goes with it. It, it. His life and his death speak for themselves.
0: Looking at this text, other points that you want to make from this text or maybe a sneak peek of what your congregation might be hearing this Sunday?
2: Yeah, I again, like I said, I can't stress enough this whole idea of Advent itself, which is coming, and that word coming also gives us anticipation. And so here at St. Paul's, we, we, we try to hold off on all the Christmas songs. We try to push them back a little bit, which I know everyone's so eager to sing them. But the anticipation of the coming gives us an anticipation for that great day of Christmas that we celebrate, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And so that idea of him coming to us in that manger, and then we'll see next week, him coming to us at the great last day. And then we can have the ministry of Jesus coming to us in the present, in the Word and sacraments. And so that puts us in a position of reception, to be receiving, to be Christians who receive Christmas as a gift. And that's ultimately what Christmas is. You know, we always say it's better to give than to receive. I tell you what, I, I think it's, it's better to, to receive than to give, especially when it comes to the context of the Savior. Because once we receive the Savior, when we, when we continue to receive him, then we can rightly give. And so this whole season of Advent is is pulling us along, this idea of him coming and approaching us, drawing near to us, and that prepares us for uh, celebrating that gift on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day of the gift given unto us. A child is born, a Savior has been given to us, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins.
1: Yeah, the, 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 one of my first thoughts when we read this text 20 minutes ago was the that whole idea of now and not yet that we have like it's advent and we're selling we're waiting for christ to come with this reading that we have is christ has already born and he is coming he is going to the cross it's that tension of that now and, and not yet that we like to talk about
2: yeah absolutely and, and and again you know so we have a first advent which obviously is the incarnation right the christmas story itself and then we have a second advent which is a second coming in glory which could happen any time, absolutely any time. And we live in anticipation for that any time-ness of Jesus coming back for us. And so again, I, and, and, I, and I cannot stress enough how much to wrap our mind around uh, this peculiar king who seeks us out, who pursues us, uh, the great lion that hunts us down, and that he comes to us. And even coming to us, you know, thinking about this, how he comes to us in our sin. And so we don't have any approach to him. We're too sin sick, but he must come in this great divine rescue coming towards us.
0: Yeah, we pray. Miranatha, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're Jesus. Well, we, we will get back together next week to look ahead to the second Sunday in Advent. Looking forward to doing that. Thank you so much, Pastor, for spending some time with us today, looking at the gospel lesson in the one-year lectionary for this first Sunday in Advent. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Fun stuff. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golsa.